right, hello everybody and welcome to the one and only podcast about the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader. And ASL. I am Dave and your host and this is... Megan, his daughter. Hello. Not Jeff. No, I'm not Jeff. Sorry folks, Jeff's had an all day tech conference and we're hoping to game tonight or podcast tonight but... It's already 7 o'clock and I haven't heard from him. And I think he's going to be shagged. I'm pretty shagged. I washed part of the house off today with a sponge by hand, killing mildew. I know, I've heard of power washers, but I don't have one. And and, uh, and I can scrub a little better when I get up there myself. And then took the kids to the pool in the sun. A little tiring that sun. But nothing as tiring as what Jeff's probably doing, working all day at a conference thingy. Sorry. And Megan, what did you do today? Well, I went to two graduation parties, and I'm going to another one when I'm done with this. I'm just so popular. You must lead the life, the fun life. I do. Life. Yep. Well, do you suppose it's time for letters? I guess it is. Time to do our fan mail. Seven o'clock. What is happening? Oh, the computer just said it's seven o'clock. Seven p.m. Oh, it's seven o'clock. Ignore that and keep going, Meg. And this letter is from Neil in Whistable, England. I will try to read it in a British accent, and he can tell me how it went. So he says, "Hi, Jeff and Dave. Really enjoying the show. I listen to about four to five episodes a day at work. Working in a bakery, I tend to get bored and de- decorate the gingerbread men with various ASL designs." I doubt that the customers have any idea what a 10-3 SGM single gingerbread man is, however. I, I shall have to send you some pictures. Thanks for all the hard work of your podcast. Really enjoying it and, making, and makes learning ASL a little easier. Cheers, Neil. Well, thanks, Neil, for that great letter. Uh, sounds a little dangerous, though, getting distracted with the podcast at work, but I guess the worst that could happen is he might put icing on someone's head or something. Mm-hmm. And I hope my accent wasn't too dreadful. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure that it was. Just like Jeff's and my accents, Meg, so don't worry about it. Our listeners are used to that. Well, Neil, we'd also like to congratulate uh, West Ham United on your inevitable win and return to the premiership in the Woo! great... What sport is that, Megan? Um, it says football, which is soccer in America. I think it's rugby. No. Isn't it? I don't. Is it soccer? It? No, football soccer, because football in Spanish is soccer, and football in England is soccer. And then what's rugby? Rugby? Do they use rugs? I don't know. Do they use socks in soccer? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they call it soccer? It makes oh, no sense. <laughs> America's weird. Oh, man, I need some. Oh. Well, and I have one here from. This is from Steve McIntosh. He says, well done on the podcast. I just started listening recently. I think we've added a lot of listeners recently, Megan. Mm, it's good. A lot of new people playing. Mm, mm-hmm. And he um, especially likes the live shows and the, t- the tournaments and the interviews. Well, thank you. 
And he says, I wanted to share an idea for ASL players out there without a face-to-face -face competition, but who are intimidated by or don't want to use Vassal. I play my regular opponents from across the Atlantic like this all the time now, and it works great. The method is simple. Use Skype or any voice over IP to connect on an online opponent using the real board and counters to play. Each player verbally announces his movement and attacks, moving his and his opponent count, opponent's counters so that each player has a clone of what the other players have on the board. Now, this might sound time-consuming, but it really isn't, and stuff out of sync is rarely, if ever, an issue. Give it a try. It's a fantastic way to play, and the advantages are many. Well, it seems to me like that'd be just like playing with a guy face-to-face -face across the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking on Skype, it's, it's pretty much instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Now, he's, he says, one, playing with the real physical counters and map board beats staring at a computer screen. Sure. Two, seeing the whole board without the need to scroll and zoom. Mm -hmm. Three, it helps mm -hmm. MMP sales, and you need the physical components to play. Vassal, despite its benefits, allows people to play material they haven't purchased. And in the long run, this could be a big problem for MMP sales, or I suppose for any game if people are playing it electronically. Mm -hmm. True story. And not buying the actual game. How many Advanced Squad Leader games have you purchased, Megan? You know, I've purchased um, um, less than 100. That would be zero. I don't have money, actually. Well, that's no. all right, because you won't get a job this summer I either. I don't want a job. I just don't want one. And here's another letter from Hunter Baker. And he says, Greetings, long-time listener, first-time emailer. I have a question. I have a question a bit... Off the, north pa off the normal path, I just finished watching the Unreal Great Easy to Understand video on YouTube by ID Gesture on how to download ASL on Vassal. Now, that's a guy who posts um, tutorials on YouTube. His ID is ID Gesture. Gesture, yes. And he says, um, here's my problem. Now that I have downloaded it, I can't seem to figure out how to use it to play. Well, that is a problem. Um, could you two find upstanding pillars of the ASL community? Please turn me on to a source that can help solve my problem. Again, great shows and sight. Thanks. Well, um, and we owe Jeff a lot of thanks for helping maintain the site. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, I, we don't do Vassal, and we were going to try and do a show on it soon. Again, soon to us is anything from two months to two years. Mm -hmm. um, very slow process. Um, yeah. And we will put it out to the listeners. Hey, listeners, send us, uh, email us if you're willing to call Hunter Baker or email Hunter with helping him get started or email us some more sources on how to use Vassal. And we will announce those on the next show or put you two guys in contact with each other. Make new friends. New friends are good. But keep the old. Yeah, yeah. Some are silver. Some are gold. That's correct. You act like you've never heard that. Don't tell I've me. I've never heard that. You've never heard that. No. You young people, you don't know anything. No, I don't. I live under a rock. Under your rock. <laughs> and now I have um, an email from Brent Paschal. He's reminding us to vote in the promotion relegation battle of 2012 on Board Game Geek. Sounds official. It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. For the top 100 um, games of, I don't know what, the century or whatever. But he uh, emailed to inform us that uh, each round and tier has been going on, and the last vote was Friday, May 25th. He hasn't let us know that it won again, so at this point maybe it didn't. Maybe you can check Board Game Geek and 
Um, we'll just keep you updated. But it did win into Tier 4, where it was in Round... Oh, during Round 4, ASL was back into Tier 4, where it was in Round 2. This time it was up against some shiny new games like Rune War Wars, Summoner Wars, and Merchants and Marauders, and classics like Avalon Hills Civilization. That's a good game. So anyway, if we need you to vote, we'll tweet it out again. Uh, otherwise, we already did tweet out the Board Game Geek link, and you can check it yourself. And we had a wonderful donation from Joe. Thank you, Joseph, for the donation. Good man, Joe. Those things really keep us going. And here's a letter from Luke. Meg, you want to read Luke's letter? Luke mm -hmm. Dibbon, or do you say Dibbon? Um, I don't know. It looks like a Dibbon. Dibbon, Dibbon, Dibbon. And Luke says, Hi, guys. First, let me congratulate you both on an excellent podcast, which has inspired me to get back into the game in a big way. You have a chemistry which makes it a pleasure to listen to and provides many insights into the game that would not have occurred to me otherwise. I am located in Sydney, Australia, and started off with squad leader in the 80s and quickly migrated the ASL for the most part playing against a good friend who beat me game after game mercilessly. Yeah, that's what people who can teach a game can do, beat mm -hmm. you mercilessly. Mm -hmm. The attack without mercy. Mm-hmm. But I must have enjoyed it as I am still keen to roll those dice. The reason I am in contact... The reason I am con contacting you is to ask if it would be possible for you to mention, for you to mention on your show an initi an initi initiative. initiative. I can't read today. Oh, it's okay, honey. You're only in high school. Oh yeah, I have a couple more years in my education. I'll get better. I have begun an initiate. Oh my goodness, I have begun an initiative. <laughs> keep pronouncing the I weird. Initiative, I have begun, begun with fellow Aussie ASL players to set up a website purely for Australian and New Zealander ASL players in an effort to reinvigorate, I got that one, the ASL scene in Australia and in New Zealand. Of course, we would love to welcome any, other, any others outside of those countries as well. The URL is http colon two debt two slashes backslashes backslashes you know what i'll post the link yeah and then you won't have to read i don't want to read that jeff taught me that one and back he... when i couldn't read the links either yeah too many All too right, many well, letters thanks luke you know meg i wonder what it would sound like if luke called us up himself and gave us um uh, an advertisement for us to use on the show i wonder what that would sound like he like, would have an accent like, like. accent Excellent. Calling all Anzacs. Looking for players in Australia and New Zealand, but they all seem to have gone bush? Well, have we got some news for you? ASLAustralia.org is a new website designed to reinvigorate the ASL scene in Australia and New Zealand. We're a group of old gamers, some of whom started our lifelong love affair with ASL way back with its predecessor, Squad Leader. With fond memories of cutting our teeth on such classic scenarios as the Tractor Works and the Commissar's House. Thanks to the passion of such companies as Multiman Publishing and the excellent podcast Two and a Half Squads, there has been somewhat of a renaissance to it with ASL. This being the case, we saw that there was a noticeable gap down under, and that was a community website dedicated to ASL players in Australia. Our aim is to step up and fulfill that role and to foster a cohesive and healthy community to help players find local clubs and clubs to find more players or a convenient place to help you set up your own club. 
to help you keep up to date with all local ASL tournaments or to help you promote your own, to bring new players to the game and old players back, but most of all to promote the ASL hobby. So join us and help us unite the Anzac ASL scene. The website address is aslaustralia.org. That's aslaustralia.org for when too much ASL is barely enough. So from all of us here at ASL Australia, see you on the battlefield. Yeah, I wonder what that would sound like. Hmm. All right, well, that's probably enough letters, and it was great of him to chime in. I'll bet you liked his accent, didn't you? I did like his accent. Can you do an Aussie accent? Um, possibly, mate, you know. Crikey, eh? Crikey, eh? Put another shrimp on the barbie for you. The barbie. Yeah, that's the... Oh, wait, I have... Wait, I think I have an Australian um, uh, insult. Your face is like a mile of unpaved road. Oh, gosh, Megan, don't say that to the (laughs) listeners. That's horrible. I didn't mean it to them, Dad. I meant it to you. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I can take it then. Yeah, there we go. It's kind of true in my case, I guess, actually. Well, Meg, you want to stick around for the next hour and a half, two hours, and do the show with me? Uh, you know, I wish I could. This is how I'd love to spend every Saturday night, you know. But waiting, pathetically waiting for Jeff to show up yeah. with nothing to do without Jeff. I was okay. At least, at least that one time, I wasn't going to turn about. I, I, my dad invited me to go play um, Dungeons and Dragons, and thankfully I had some friends that came to my rescue and asked me over for a movie night. So at least I didn't get pulled into that. But all right. Yeah. Well, then we'll say goodbye to Megan. And we'll continue the show without you. Nice meeting you all. Happy summer. Well, in the last show, Jeff and I announced a new contest. We asked you to call in on the telephone line down there on the right-hand corner of the website for the two half squads, and to complete the following sentence. You know you played too much ASL when... Dot, 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 dot. You know you played too much ASL when... And then you come up with a punchline. Time flies when you're having fun, don't it? Well, we've gotten three entries to the contest, and I will play those for you now. And we encourage you to call in. All you do is call in, uh, leave us a message. And also, please email us. And you three gentlemen who did this call, these calls, please email us and give us your full name, stating that you were one of the people who called. I can't make out the last name on one or two of them. And um, that way we can enter your name into the drawing for the prizes. Many cool, marvelous, wonderful prizes. So here's our first caller. Tim Stone from, gosh, where do I live? Richmond, Virginia. And you know you're playing too much ASL when your IT project goes to hell and you look at the leader and realize he's a six plus two. Actually, I don't even know if that's a real... Uh, mad leader and squad leader because I don't, I have not played squad leader in such a long time. However, I love your podcast, uh, enjoy every single episode, and uh, always download it despite the fact that after wargaming uh, at Montel Grognard, I'm still playing Pan's Leader and 
Panzer Blitz, and, and not so much uh, ASL. But uh, keep up the great work, guys. Yes, it can sound just like that, ladies and gentlemen. And I d think that was Jim from Virginia, but not sure. So email us your name, Jim. And here's another one. Hey, guys, this is Sergeant Schmutz calling in to let you know when you've played too much ASL. You've played too much ASL when you refer to your bachelor friends as SMCs. You wonder how many portage points your vehicle really has. You refer to your significant other as your 12-4. You call your morning routine the rally phase. The first shape your child learned was a hexagon, and you know you've played too much ASL when, well, that's actually heresy and blasphemy. One can never play too much ASL. And thank you, Sergeant Smuts, once again for your kind contributions to our show, and you are in our contest. Here's yet another. It's Jack. You know you play too much ASL when you go to a German restaurant and order Nefertiti Gungaslava. <laughs> now, that's one of my favorite words to say, and that's one of my favorite entries. So thank you, Jack. You are also into the contest. So the rest of you, go ahead and call our little hotline to the two half squads and leave us an audio message. And we'll enter you into the contest to win fabulous prizes. And we'd like to remind you that we do have some items donated by Matt. Thank you, Matt, once again, to raise funds for the show. And today we're going to be offering up a copy of Paratrooper. I'm still sorting the counters, actually, but I'm going to assume that they're all going to be there. That we're going to have a copy of Paratrooper for your bidding pleasure. Just email us with your bid, and then we'll tweet out the bids as they roll in. And you can always up your bid later. End time on this contest. Oh, let's say if it's currently June 9th, well, that's when I'm recording this. Let's say July... How about July 6th? A couple days after the holiday weekend. Maybe you'll get all festive over the weekend and, and call in or email us with a ridiculous bid on this beautiful paratrooper game. Used. Boxes taped up. Boards are in great condition. Pieces are in fine condition. Assuming, again, they're all there, I'll let you know um, when you bid. If they're not, so you'll know what you're getting. And go ahead. Give us some love. Give us some support. Give us a bid for Paratrooper. No one else could play He was the top man at his craft But then his number came up And he was gone with the draft He's in the army now A blowing reveille He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of company Hip hooray We're living in the USA One you yanks all holler thanks Hip hip hooray Welcome back everybody And now it's time for another episode of 
Quiz Show. Well, I think in the last show, we promised you some meat, some good old rules, some crunch, some intelligent podcasting instead of what we usually give you. And so, here it is, Quiz Show. Today's topic, the to kill tables. To kill tables. And joining me tonight to answer the questions, since Jeff's not here and Megan has left me all alone, I brought in a friend that I met at the piano bar, and he is the piano player. Hey, it's the piano man. Welcome, piano man. Hey, it's great to be on such a happening show as the two half squads. Thanks for having me, man. Well, it's a pleasure, and our topic tonight is the to kill tables. And so let's get started with quiz show. First of all, there are four different to kill tables. And they are arranged by ammo type. Each has weapons on it, caliber size listed on it, uh, etc. And a to-kill number for those corresponding weapon types. Is that your question, Dave? No, that isn't the question at all, uh, Piano Man. But thanks for asking. Uh, First, some more information here, too. The to-kill number is increased or decreased, the one that's listed on the chart, by uh, some variable cases, A through D. And those are modifiers. And once you apply those modifiers to the to-kill number listed on the chart, you end up with what is termed the modified to-kill number. Now, the, if you were to then subtract the armor factor from the modified to-kill number, you would end up with the final to-kill number. Oh, so that's the question, Dave, right? No, no, I'm sorry, that's not the question yet either. I'm just giving more information. Now, to get a hit versus a vehicle, um, you would need to roll that final to kill number once you've subtracted the armor factor. Now, hit versus an unarmored vehicle will use a different table. That's the unarmored vehicle to kill number table there. Now, rule 7.12. Here comes the first question. Are you ready, Piano Man? Yes, I'm, I'm ready. Great. The first question is, when is aerial armor factor used? What's an aerial armor factor, Dave? Well, I can't tell you that, Piano Man. That would be cheating. So, I'll, I'll, well, I'll tell everyone. Um, this will count as a wrong answer. An aircraft attack will use an aerial armor factor when when an aircraft attacks. And when you optimally position a DC, then you get to use an aerial armor factor. And also when you get an underbelly hit. Oh, I don't like those underbelly hits. Like the one time I owed all that money, you know, for my gambling debts. Yeah, TMI, Piano Man. Um... So, to find the aerial armor factor, you would look at this little to-kill table chart. It has an armor factor listing here. And you would use the armor factor that's listed beneath the armor fighting vehicle's worst armor factor. Now, that's regardless of where you hit the vehicle, the location of the hit, like turret or 
side or even if it's the front, it's regardless of that information. So you use the worst armor factor of the vehicle, and that's the thing that I think I forget a lot. Um, so you take the worst armor factor below that is the um, aerial armor factor, and it's in a blue line here on obtaining the final to kill number chart C7.11. And our next question is then, the modifications to the to kill number, there are some more. Case A. A is a rear shot against the vehicle. And then when you shoot a tank from the rear, armor facing, the kill numbers increase by how many? Would that be one, Dave? That is correct, Piano Man. It's increased by one number. Then, here's a question. Do all aircraft hits... Oh, 10 o'clock. Time flies. Do all aircraft hits qualify for the rear armor factor bonus? Uh, let me think, Dave. Um, I would say yes. That is correct, sir. And case B on the chart there. This is the aerial demolition charge and Moltoff, M-O-L, stands for Moltoff cocktail. You know, those glass bottles full of gasoline with the flaming wick. And you throw them, they explode and burn the heck out of some things. Well, the aerial DC Moltoff elevation advantage versus an armored fighting vehicle. So... If you are have an elevation advantage, you're above the target um, by at least usually a level above them. Then the question is, the to kill number of aircraft hit of an aircraft hit is increased by how many factors versus an armored target? Would that be one? You are correct. Let's continue that line of thought. So let's say you have an airplane coming in to bomb uh, to shoot at a armor-fighting vehicle, and that vehicle is an open-topped vehicle. How much is it increased by then? One seems to be the safe bet here. I'll say one? No, I'm sorry. In this case, it's two. You would increase the to-kill number by two. And I would also like to point out that a Moltoff attack versus an armor-fighting vehicle is also increased if you have an elevation advantage, and it's increased by one. And that one, I don't think I forget a lot, or how often do you have a guy in an upper story of a building that remembers to use a Moltoff and throwing it down on a tank? I don't think I've ever done it, but you would get a bonus of one to the kill number. So the next question is, if you have a demolition charge... Then throwing it down from an elevation advantage, then do you add a plus one to the to kill number of the vehicle of uh, that you need to kill the tank on the resulting explosion of the of the demolition charge, or would you add it to the position die roll? Well, position die roll sounds kind of fun, Dave. I think I'll guess the position die roll. And that is also correct. And now we'll take a look at rule seven point two three critical hit number. No. Critical hit does what to 
your to kill number. So when you get a critical hit, what does that do to your to kill number? I believe that would make it better, wouldn't it, Dave? That's correct, and that better means doubling the to kill number. So that's about the best thing you can possibly get. So if you have a kill number of 17 with a uh, gun on your tank, and then you get to double that puppy, well, 34, if you can do the math as quick as I can. And the thing to remember with a critical hit is that you double it prior to the to hit modifiers, changing the number. So you double it up before you add the modifiers on, the other ones. Now take a look at rule 7.24, case D. This is range effects versus an armor fighting vehicle. So when you're firing a cannon, a tank, a gun at an armor fighting vehicle, um, question is, does the penetration do the penetration capabilities of an armor-piercing APCR or APDS, armor-piercing discarding sabot, um, ammunition, increase with the range to the target? I'll take a guess here, Dave. Is that no? No is a correct answer. Now, if you look at the range charts on the um, table C7.31 and C7.32, that's AP to kill and APCR, APDS to kill. You can notice that the um, numbers change by the distance. So if it's a 25-millimeter gun, it's a very small gun, the numbers are going to drop off precipitously. Is that a good word? Precipitously? At 19 to 24 range for all 25 millimeter smaller guns. That'll be a neg one. Now, if you look at your APCR APDS, at that same range, 19 to 24, the APCR at a 70, 50, 57 millimeter gun or less is going to drop by four to the to kill number. So if you had a kill number of 18, um, that would be a 57 LL gun, and then it would go down by four, because it's 57 or less. If you were firing a 76 LL gun, Russian, it's an 18 to kill number. That APCR on the range chart for greater than or equal to 75 millimeter would be a minus three. So that 18 would drop to a 15. So that would carry, it seems like, a little with more penetrating power a little farther. Now an APDS is zero. What the heck? APDS. Hmm. Armor piercing discarding sabot. Nice. Now the APDS only starts to drop off at 25 or more hexes. So that's some good ammo. I don't think I ever realized that myself. Now if you're firing armor piercing with the, uh, let's take the Russian 76 LL, it's be 16 to kill number, and with the AP, again, at a uh, 65, look at the bottom of the range chart on that one, greater than or equal to 65 millimeters sized cannon, you have a mine at a, a range of, I'm sorry, 25 to 30, we were kind of looking at, be minus one, so that's going to carry pretty far also. All right, with with still having good penetrating power, keeping your kill number high. All right, so if you look at your 
a, a don't forget the range charts there. It's something I used to actually kind of not look at. Uh, a lot of times your your ranges are close in this game, but with vehicles, especially desert, you're looking at some real long range stuff. I know Rich Spilkey would often um, pre-calculate a lot of his ranges out and have all that listed by his vehicle sheets. And so, Piano Man, let's go to the HEAT, High Explosive Anti-Tank Ammo to Kill Table. C7.33, hey, no peeking there. Hey, I wasn't peeking, Dave. I just had to crane my neck a little crook in my neck there. All right, so the question for you is... What is the question for you? The question is, on the heat table, are the penetration capabilities of heat ammo going to decrease with range? Uh, yes. I'm sorry, that is wrong. I meant no. No is correct. Yeah, there are no range modifiers for high explosive anti-tank. And there are no range modifiers for high explosive ammunition. You know, the kind that just lands and explodes in a shower of shrapnel. And there no, are no range modifications on the chart for flame to kill like like flamethrowers and you know d demolition charges are also on that list uh, and things like Molotov cocktails hey, I'm having a cocktail right now Dave would you like one? Oh no no thanks piano man there are also some notes at the back footnotes at the back of um, chapter C I'm going to look at 13 right now and read it to you. The to-kill numbers, 7.1. Each to-kill number represents the gun's armor penetration at 500 meters range and at an impact angle of 0% plus a base of 5. I don't know what that means, but although some to-kill number, I mean the 5 part, oh, just plus an extra 5 number, uh, although some to-kill numbers are weighted further for special performance characteristics. A final to kill number of five means that the shell would just barely penetrate the armor struck. Okay, there's the base number. One of less than or equal to four indicates that it generally could not penetrate unless it struck a weak spot. So that's a probability, I guess. Although such hits could sometimes cause spalling, ooh, fragmentation, of the armor's inner surface. High explosives did not actually penetrate, but is concussive effect. So like when the bomb drops in with the shrapnel and the explosion, it's a concussion effect that can cause thinner armor to shatter hmm, and collapse inward, as well as causing spalling or blasting loose interior attachments that become deadly projectiles. So the concussion, and you know, I know in the Civil War, the Monitor and the Merrimack, I remember reading an account of those two ironclad ships fighting in the river, um, or where were they? Potomac? I don't know where they were. But I know that one thing was the concussion of the of the shot, solid shot, bouncing off the armored sides, caused guys' ears to bleed inside one of the ships, if not both of them. And so I just found that footnote to be very, very fascinating. I'll also read 14 while I'm here on Rule 7.311 versus unarmored targets, which we kind of flew by there. Um, it's interesting to note that the to-kill number for unarmored vehicles is often less than that of an armor-fighting vehicle. 
This is due to the fact that, although an unarmored vehicle is always penetrated by a hit, the projectile may, oh yeah, I remember this one now, may pass entirely through the vehicle without detonating or striking anything vital. So you can hit a truck and the shell, solid shot shell can go right through the vehicle, right? Armor, I mean, unarmored vehicle, uh, wooden sides, and not hit a gas tank or something vital. Perhaps a transmission or engine or... On the other hand, a projectile which has penetrated an armored fighting vehicle often explodes or loses too much velocity to punch its way out the other side and therefore ricochets inside with murderous effect. In both cases, in addition to causing potentially lethal fragmentation as it penetrates the armor. Very fascinating. Sounds kind of like a history report there. Yes, it does. Yeah, I'm going to have to do another one of history reports sometime soon on a show. Well, let us continue, shall we, Piano Man? Yes, we shall, Dave. Now, each of these um, to-kill tables does have unique features. For one thing, look at the armor-piercing to-kill table, 7.31. It has color-coded entries. So, British are blue, the Russian, Finnish, Japanese, Allied, and Axis Minor, and Italian, 20L only, red, goes with the ATR and the 12.7 gun. Um, the brown is the Russian. Oh, and Japanese. Huh. I guess I always forget that. I got, you know, how often am I again shooting a 76L or 76LL Japanese gun? But I'm doing a lot of Russian 76Ls. Yes? And so on. Um, so they're color-coded. You can look at the chart yourself and find those. The 12.7... Oh, I'm sorry, that's not red. That's a 50 cal machine gun. The 12.7 is the 50 cal. That's a magenta. That's a magenta, my friends. Oh, yeah, magenta is one of my favorite colors, Dave. I just love magenta. Oh, uh, yeah, I like I it too. Tell you how much I love magenta. I'd love to tell it you. It won't be necessary. Thanks. Oh, oh okay. Yes, well, there are lots of pretty colors on the uh, AP to kill table and uh, some of the other tables. You know, Dave, a lot of people don't think that piano men like a lot of pretty colors. Yeah, why is that? With the piano keys just being black and white and all, you know. But, uh, you know, it's not always true. They they like colors. Well, you know, I, I am an art major, and I like colors too. So, that's a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. And there's nothing gooder than a good thing. <laughs> Right, Dave? Yeah, right. I agree. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what are you doing, Piano Man? Just playing a little tune, man. All right, well, we have a podcast to do here. Yeah, all right, I'll just play a little more. No, you can't play a little more. We have a podcast to do here. Yeah, in a minute, man. I'm gonna... Stop now. I'm in the groove. Stop now. Yeah. Stop it! Okay, just ask. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're on uh, uh, rule 7.31. Uh, no, 7.311. Okay, Piano Man, I have another question for you. You can play some piano later. Does the barrel length, range, and armor factor have an effect versus an unarmored vehicle? Well, no, seems to be a popular guess, so I'll say no. Correct, and you probably knew that because I had read note 
14 from chapter C, which talked about the penetration of an unarmored vehicle and blasting right through the wood and not hurting the vehicle and so on. So that does not have an effect to your shot. So, the German 28, this is a statement, piano man, the t- German 28LL and the 40LL always use the APCR table unless they're firing a high explosive round, you know, the kind that blows up good. And the reasoning is that APCNR, which I don't know what that is, but it's some kind of special, special ammo, is more like APCR. So they just use the APCR table. That's very, very cool, Dave. So checking the charts, yeah, I don't see the 28LL on the AP to kill table, only on the APCR, APDS to kill table. And the kill number is a whopping 12, by the way. I'd like to also point out that the final kill number, when you shoot at an unarmored vehicle, if it's hit by APCR or APDS, it's no difference from AP. You just use the AP table to resolve that to kill. So, you ready for a question, Piano Man? Are you sure? All right, then. This is rule 7.33. Heat table. Does the heat table have barrel lengths on it? No, it does not. That's right. And what symbol is on the counter that represents the heat ammo depletion number? It's an H. H is correct. You do know your ASL, Piano Man. And the question is, next question is, from the heat table... Does the H-E, oh, not the heat table, from the high explosives table, high explosives, does the high explosives table have a barrel length on it? Oh, no. That's right. Does it have caliber sizes on it? Oh, no. That's right. (laughs) Does the case, do the case D range modifiers apply? Uh, no. That is also right. None of those things apply. Not the range, not the caliber size, not the barrel length. It's just high explosives. Uh, It gets shot out there. Wherever it lands, it blows up with about the same explosive power, no matter where it lands and how far and how wide. Oh, that's right. Yes, it is, Piano Man. All right, let me ask you this, Mr. Piano Smarty Pants Man. Do high explosive rounds increase the chance of a shock or an unconfirmed kill? And a shock or an unconfirmed kill is like if you don't kill the tank or make it a burning wreck, then you might shock it or um, make it a possibly a kill, which is an unconfirmed kill. So, Piano Man, do high explosive rounds? High explosive rounds increase the chance of a shock or a UK unconfirmed kill? Yes, they do. Correct. And does it also increase the chance of getting an immobilization result? Yes. Very good. Okay, Piano Man. 
I know you're excited about getting those answers right, but this is not the time for a little celebratory piece of music, okay? Are you sure, Dave? Yes, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Okay. If you're positive. All right. All right. Great. No need to yell. Thanks, Piano Man. And now... I'd like to tell you that a flamethrower or a Molotov cocktail, that they don't use armor factors. They just get a kill number, and they don't have to subtract any armor at all, and that's what I love about them. Fire on the vehicle goes must go through the crevices and into the openings and just suck all the oxygen out of that vehicle. Very deadly indeed. You don't use an armor factor. You don't subtract it from the kill number when you're doing a flamethrower or a Molotov. Now, the kill number also is increased for a crew-exposed vehicle by plus one with a flamethrower or a Molotov. We're on rule 7.344. And if it's an open-top vehicle, it's increased by a plus two. Now, the thing is you can't use them both. Piano Man, you can with the uh, Molotov, you can only use one, and I don't know why. You can use them both when you're shooting a flamethrower at a tank. That's a whole lot of good modifiers going your way when you got a flamethrower. And the flamethrowers also do not use case D or case C, but it is halved for long-range fire. And that's where you get your range modifications for a flamethrower. At long range, it's halved. Now, I ask you a question, Mr. Piano Man. Does concealment, crook, um, um, smoke, uh, train effect modifiers, and advanced fire phase penalties, like halving it for advanced fire phase, you know, a plus two for smoke or a plus for being CX, do those apply with a flamethrower? Um... Let me think, Dave. Um, I'd say no. That is correct. Now, rule 7.346 is something about demolition charge. It's very complicated. It has a big chart in it. We're going to save that discussion for our demolition charge episode. Yes, that's right, folks. Demolition charge episode. Coming up later on whenever we get to it. Now, rule 7.35. Question for you, Piano Man. The to kill die roll, when you make your roll and you roll boxcars a 12, that equals a what? Everybody knows that's a dud, Dave. That's correct. It's a dud. It means no effect. The shell didn't even explode. A dud. Now let me read footnote 15 here. This rule generically encompasses another minor aspect of fate. Example, rounds that fail to detonate or shatter harmlessly upon impact. And also those that strike a glancing blow or a hit uh, or hit a non-vital part of an armor-fighting vehicle, such as a stowage bin. Oh, I always thought it was just like a dud. It didn't blow up. But in fact, it could be that it hit a non-vital part of the vehicle, a stowage bin. 
hate to lose, you know, the lunches or tea, whatever's packed in there. All right, let's go to rule 7.4. If the hit fails to penetrate, can it still affect the vehicle, Piano Man? I mean, the shell hits, doesn't penetrate the armor, it should bounce off harmlessly, correct? Oh, uh, let me think, Dave. If it fails to penetrate, it can still affect the vehicle, yes. It doesn't just bounce off harmlessly. Correct, and that means that it could be a shock or an unconfirmed kill possibility against the target. Rule 7.41, which seemed complicated when I made my notes, so I thought I'd read it to you. A shock possibility occurs whenever a non-machine gun non-high explosives to kill die roll is greater than the final to kill die roll of an armor front of vehicle. Okay, so a machine gun's not big enough to have a result or is a um, non-high explosives. Um, such an armor front of vehicle must take a normal task check, failure of which results in placement of a shock counter on the vehicle. Now, an automatic shock is caused by a high explosives turret hit or an FFE fire for effect, you know, OBA, or a demolition charge effect die roll, one greater than the final to kill number, IFT result number, or on a turret hit to kill number equal to the final <laughs> to kill number, kill IFT result, on a direct, indirect, and DC attacks, no test check. No wonder I didn't want to take notes on that. I think, okay, so how, how do you handle this? You go right to table C7.7. I'm refining vehicle destruction table. And you just take a look. It just shows you that when you get less than half, you get burning racks and stuff across there. It lists the different um, attack methods, demolition charge, flamethrowers, machine guns, indirect fire, mines, close combat, and direct fire. And then it lists if you have a equal to the kill number or the red K number or the 1KA or the close combat value. And if you have high explosives, one greater than, and not high explosives, one greater than. What could possibly happen? So take a very complicated paragraph and just don't even read it. Just go, go right to the chart. See 7.7. Sort through that. That'll probably work for you just as good as anything. And remember, it's only a game, kids. That's right, Dave. It is only a game. Much like playing the piano. That's right. And now let's look at rule 7.42. The effects of a shock or a confirmed kill. Well, the first thing is that it equals that you have to button up when you get a shock or unconfirmed kill against you. You know, the shell hit didn't kill you or make you a brain wreck, but it did something. And then you um, can take no actions. You're not subject to a collateral attack. Now, the question is, Piano Man, may a shocked armored fighting vehicle move? Um, uh, no. Correct. 
<laughs> may it uh, interdict a routing target. Oh, let me think. No. Correct. May it make any kind of attack. That's a hard one. Correct. No. May it order a pizza. Oh, that's a good one, Dave. That's a good one. Thanks, Piano Man. Hey, I'd like to tell you that a shocked armor-finding vehicle, you may be wondering what happens to it in the rally phase. Well, it rolls for recuperation. Now, it doesn't use a leader modifier for this, and it rolls even if it's already abandoned before being hit, and that's interesting. I don't know quite what that means, but I guess a crew could abandon a vehicle before it's hit, and then it's hit, and it is shocked, so... Even if the vehicle's out of the vehicle, even if the crew is out of the vehicle, is that what it means? I'm not sure. Listeners, let us know. But you would roll a dice. And if you roll a one to two, one or two, that means you remove the counter, the unconfirmed kill, unconfirmed kill vehicle, well, the shocked vehicle. And if you roll a three to six, then that's bad. You flip it to the unconfirmed kill side. So when you're shocked, you put a shock counter on it, and then in the rally phase, you roll a dice. One or two, you take that shocked away, and no problem, good to go, no problem whatsoever. If you roll three to six, bad news, you flip it to the unconfirmed kill side. Remember, low in squad leader is good, high in advanced squad leader is bad. And then if you still have the counter on you in the next rally phase, you roll again. This time, your odds get a little better of recovering. They call it recuperation. And you roll 1 to 3. The vehicle's okay. But if you roll a 4 to 6, well, you're a wreck. You just flip the vehicle counter over to the wreck side, the white side, showing up. And when it's flipped to that wreck side, you don't get a crew survival roll. No, you don't. Just flip it over. Dead vehicle. Now, if a shocked vehicle is hit by a gun with another shock result, then you would flip that unconfirmed kill counter back over to its shocked side, which actually gives it a better chance to recuperate in the next rally phase, which seems odd to me, but I guess if you had the percentages of the first rally roll to recu recuperate, and in addition to the next roll, maybe it's worse. But um, if your vehicle's on a shocked side and you're hit again, there's no effect with another shock result, you don't do anything at all. So if your vehicle's got an unconfirmed kill on it and it's hit with a shock, flip it back to the shock side. If the vehicle has a shock counter on it and it's hit again with another shock result, ignore it. That's great information, Dave. Thanks, man. Great stuff. Well, thanks, Piano Man. Let's finish up by going to rule 7.6. Now, if you roll less than or equal to half of the final to kill number, what happens to the vehicle? It's a flaming wreck, Dave. That's right. Burning, flaming wreck with smoke, Piano Man. And I ask you this. Do the crew then roll for survival on a burning wreck? 
Come on, Dave. How could a burning vehicle have survived? That's correct. Right. Can they then ask you this? Can they have a weenie roast on the flaming vehicle? <laughs> That's another good one, Dave. Thanks, Piano Man. And we'd like to point out if there are other infantry in the hex with the vehicle when it becomes a flamer, they don't suffer any consequences. It's not like the vehicle blows up or anything. In one game I play, Battleground, miniature game, um, yeah, there can be consequences when you're close to a vehicle that uh, becomes a burning wreck, but not an, an advanced squad leader. So, All right, everyone. Thanks for playing Quiz Show, especially thanks to you, Piano Man. Thanks to you, Dave. It's been a pleasure having you. Oh, it's been a pleasure being here, too. You know what? Now it's safe for you to start playing the piano. You mean it, man? Sure, I mean it. Go ahead. Wow. Thanks, man. Let's do the sign-off together. We've got a 56-minute show here. Hard to believe. So... Sign off together, eh? Sure. By saying, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Remember to roll low. Rally well. But not not when you're playing us. Bye, everybody. Bye bye.